the wildest travel experience I think I had was a trip to Ethiopia. We were in Jinka, which is over near the South Sudanese border. I had a trusted guide, had my teenage daughter in the back seat, woke up at dawn, drove about two and a half hours towards the South Sudanese border to see the Mercy tribe. Sun's rising over the mountains and it looked like something out of Jurassic Park. There was nothing, just dirt roads. We ended up picking up this guy that was sort of walking down the dirt road. My guide had said that that was the chief of the Mercy tribe's son. He had been walking for hours to get back to his village. So we threw him in the back seat with my daughter and drove towards their village. I saw a bunch of grass huts and then men came out of nowhere carrying AK-47s and I'm thinking, holy shit, this is the real deal. They welcomed us like we were family. It was literally like stepping back into time. I felt like I was two or 3,000 years in the past. Mercy tribe, the women wear a clay lip, cattle horns on their heads, and literally all the guys over the age of 16 were carrying AK-47s. And that probably was one of the wildest travel experiences I think I've ever experienced. Welcome to the Roaming the Earth podcast. I am your host, Drea Castro, and I'm here with Todd Snyder. Todd Snyder is the founder and CEO of Lost Faces of Humanity Foundation, an NGO focusing on the refugee crisis in East Africa. Todd has traveled to over 90 countries as a businessman, trailblazing photographer, and father whose socially conscious work sheds light on what many choose to ignore. His passion for capturing struggles and triumphs of the human spirit is the foundation of his unique artistic style. Todd leverages his relationships with over 20 years working in the international capital markets and finance to create pathways for significant change to assist the global refugee crisis while using his photography of over 5,000 refugees and thousands of internally displaced persons to create awareness of humanity. Thank you so much for joining us, Todd. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I want to know about this AK-47 situation. What did you do to get there and how did you feel? It was a trip I had planned to East Africa with my daughter. We were planning on uh, you know, visiting uh, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Zanzibar, Kenya, and uh, ended up South Sudan. We ended up uh, spending about a month. And it wasn't just all work. A lot of it was pleasure. And part of the pleasure was to visit the indigenous tribes of Ethiopia. So uh, through NetGeo, I hired a guide and the guide, um, you know, chose, we chose part of the trip, you know, six or seven of the tribes, indigenous tribes throughout Ethiopia. The Mercy tribe, which is on the border of South Sudan, one of the coolest group of people I've ever met in my life, was the first tribe that we had met. So I was a little jet lagged, low on coffee. It was super early in the morning and our first night in Jenka, you know, the guides picked us up, you know, at the crack of dawn. We drove almost three hours towards the border of South Sudan to meet the tribe. And it was uh, fascinating. One of the most adrenaline rushed experiences of our lives. How old was your daughter at the time? Uh, she's, she was 14. So a couple years ago. I can't even imagine being a 14 year old girl, just, you know, seeing this firsthand must've been such a, an incredible experience. Like how do you come back to real life after, after that? Uh, She's seen quite a bit. She's been about 20 countries uh, with me and, uh, quite a bit of that. In fact, in Miramar, we had witnessed folks carrying AKs and a lot of the countries you go to, you'll see it, you know, crossing into the borders and whatnot. Can you tell me about why you started to do this journey photographing refugees, which by the way, 
it's like my dream job. <laughs> like I would love to travel the world and photograph something of social importance. I know another refugee photographer that I'm a big fan of, you know, and I just admire what you guys do. So I, I'm just curious as to why you chose that path. You know, it's interesting. And that's asked quite a bit. 2016, I uh, bought my first camera and it was on a trip to Europe with my daughter. And you know, the iPhone just didn't have the quality that I liked. So I grabbed it, bought a camera literally the day before I left, threw the manual away and started photographing her on our trip and kind of, you know, documenting our, our journeys through, I think it was about seven or eight countries that summer. And um, one of the things I've noticed on my travels since I was, you know, 10 years old, that there was a lot of uh, homeless people, displaced people, and in Europe, a lot of refugees scattered throughout. And they're from various countries from, uh, Africa to Syrians to uh, Iraqi refugees. And um, I found them to be interesting. And so I started talking with a lot of them and started photographing them. And I found them to be fascinating, uh, you know, their stories. I mean, you'll come across doctors, uh, teachers, you know, very, very um, highly educated people that have been just displaced from their country. And that sort of started to sink in. And uh, we were on a trip in Miramar, Thailand, China back in 2017. And I'll never forget, we crossed the border into Miramar and the Rohingya refugee crisis. And, uh, you know, I just witnessed some of the kids and the people that were crossing into the borders. And I said to myself, this is just not right. These are some of the nicest, kindest people on the earth. And then, you know, you see a prime minister that has a Nobel Peace Prize and, you know, she's allowing refugees to leave the country. And I just, it didn't sit well, you know, having spoken to and photographed quite a few of the people that, you know, sort of wakened up my interest for lost faces of humanity. The real cornerstone of the foundation was our trip to East Africa. And we were invited into the UNHCR refugee camps in uh, East Africa. And I'll never forget, you know, landing in Gambella, which is on the border of Sudan. And getting off the airplane and it was just world food program, United Nations uh, and military planes. And we were in this little tiny, you know, Ethiopian airlines, I think it was a King Air and just getting off the airport. I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is the real deal. So I hired a Tut Tut, which is this little tiny three wheel cab that uh, took us to the town from the airport. And it was this bouncy dirt road and, you know, people on horses kind of passing us and just a sort of a surreal experience. Checked into a hotel, the power was out, you know, there was no air conditioning, no hot water. And, you know, I loved every minute out of it. And I'll never forget, you know, the following morning driving into the camps. It was kind of an eye opener. You know, Ethiopia, one of the things I really love about that country, it's a, you know, it's a republic and it allows refugees to come into its borders. You know, they honor the UN and the Geneva Convention. And I think there's at one time there was about a million four refugees in Ethiopia. And we went to the first camp and I'll never forget there were 73,000 people in this camp. And, you know, I think about 60% were kids and they were younger than my daughter. And my daughter was just in shock. And we had bags of clothing and things like that, that we had brought from the States and she started handing it out. And it was just an eye opener, you know, and then I learned shortly thereafter that a lot of these kids are orphaned, you know, their parents were killed in the South Sudan war between 2013 and 2020. And it was just something that kind of sank in. It just kind of shocked me when we got the, you know, the permits and the background checks and all that fun stuff to get into the camps. I had to apply for, you know, my driver and my guide and then my daughter to get into the camp. And I'll never forget the Ethiopian ambassador 
you know, she looked at my daughter's passport and said, you know, she's uh, 13 years old. I can't let her in. And I conveyed to her that, you know, she'd be safe. And she said, how can you assure that? And I said, well, she feeds the homeless here on Skid Row. And she asked me, she said, you bring your kid to Skid Row? And I said, yeah, she feeds them every year. She said, well, if you bring your kids to Skid Row, I'm going to allow it, but be safe and be careful. Flash forward, it was me. It was just, I was in shock. You know, I couldn't believe the how kind the people were that were living in these camps. And yet that they're forgotten and that our mainstream media just does not shed any light on this crisis. You know, seeing 73,000 people in these camps, dirt floors, UN's taking good care of them. Uh, however, there's not a whole lot of uh, modern world amenities and they're just sort of in limbo. So it's kind of a, an awakening. That's what really caused me to, you know, dive in and form the foundation. Was that before you formed the foundation or were uh, you... Literally, a day, the day I got back, one of my clients is a uh, former IRS agent, business manager, CPA that handles a lot of, uh, you know, 15 years with the IRS, and then 15 years he's been in the private sector for taxes and accounting and bookkeeping, and he handles a lot of people in the entertainment industry. Walked into his office and said, Don, I need to form a 5013C. I said, I've got to, you know, they want to, you know, dive into helping the refugee crisis. So I gave him the name. The name was available. Uh... Then I gave him the mission statement. He said, this might take six months or so to get because of the uh, process. He calls me up about 45 days into it. And he said, look at your email. So I opened my email and he said, the IRS just granted you your 5013C. And he says, I've my 30 years with the IRS, I've never seen it happen so quickly. It was about a six month process to get all the NGO status. And then finally our secretary of state signed off on it and we're an official NGO. So kind of been diving into the you know, alleviating the struggles of the refugees in these areas. Is Ethiopia the largest uh, refugee? I think it might be. I think Tur Turkey houses, Turkey and Jordan, quite a bit of uh, Syrian refugees. And uh, Ethiopia yeah. has uh, quite a bit from South Sudan, mm -hmm. uh, Rwanda. And then, um, you know, there's quite a few from uh, uh, Mogadishu and some of those other areas. So, yeah. Uh, Primarily South Sudan. So. Yeah. It's funny because it's like, that's definitely not talked about. And like I said, I know other photographers as well. And we always find our calling. And it's just so nice to hear another photographer that's just like, I found this thing that I want. And then you went for it. And now it's like your life. It's such a beautiful thing to to invest your purpose. You know, that's your life's purpose. One of your biggest life's purposes is to go around and inform people because a lot of us, we just live in our own bubbles. We don't really see what's out there or we don't choose to see what's out there. So a photographer's job is really, really important. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. No, it's, it's a passion. I figured that I've had 20, 25 years in the capital markets. You know, I've raised money for a lot of people that really don't deserve it. I figure, you know, how about this chapter? Let's raise money for folks that really deserve it and need it. And you know, walking through these camps, you'll find, you know, highly educated, some of the smartest, most resourceful, kind people on the planet. And they're just sort of forgotten. And I think really the sin would be not to do something. And, uh, um, you know, the South Sudan War it was between 2013, 2020, and it displaced about 4 million people. I think about a million or so internal, quite a few were killed, you know, about a million or so ended up in uh, Ethiopia. I've never been to a refugee camp. So I heard that in those refugee camps, people kind of build their own communities. They start getting married. What does it look like? You know, it's, and there's, there is a hierarchy. So there's, uh, you know, like tribal, um, you know, and, and, and they break it up into different tribes because there's certain various tribes in some of these regions. 
you know, there is a hierarchy. So there, you know, some of the the older gentlemen that, you know, were in their 40s and 50s are kind of the, the camp leaders. The, the women do a lot of the heavy lifting. You'll see, you know, hundreds of women kind of carrying, you know, these massive water jugs, uh, pots and pans throughout the camp because, the you know, wow. water is really the key. I mean, one of the things people don't realize that a lot of these camps, there's no running water, you know, sewers, things like that, things that we take for granted, power. You know, the water hole is sometimes, you know, six to 10 kilometers from where they live. Oh so you'll God. see these young kids carrying these massive jugs of water back and forth. And uh, one of the big problems is kids are having to carry basic necessities for survival instead of going to get education. Now, uh, UNHCR and the United Nations offers, you know, schools and education. And they do an unbelievable job. I mean, these agencies... Uh, how they manage, you know, currently I think it's about 70.5 million refugees on our planet and growing. Uh, This is pre-COVID and, uh, you know, it's just a massive undertaking. And uh, World Food Program provides the food. World Health provides basic health necessities. And uh, the niche we're looking for and what Lost Faces of Humanity is kind of focused on is kind of that uh, boutique you know, blankets, uh, school supplies. Um, and then our, my ultimate goal is to bring uh, education into the refugee camps. And yet I want to take education from the refugees and bring those into our schools. Um, you know, I've asked my daughter who's been into the camps with me, who's a high school student right now. And I said, what do you think would make these kids happy? Cause they're, you know, obviously happy. She's obviously some of the things that we have at home, you know, right now with COVID and all that, her, her education has been online. So my goal is to team up with tech companies where we can take the technology that, that is current and bring it into the camps. And yet these kids have so much to teach and allow them to kind of share their stories with kids in the inner cities and with the cities around our country and world that, you know, hey, you know, we're all one. Let's kind of uh, learn together and let's sort of discuss our future together. And that's sort of the vision of Lost Faces uh, that we're working on right now. When you travel, you're learning stuff, but they're also learning stuff. It's this like give and take. And honestly, like I think I've learned more traveling to places like Nepal in the mountains with women that have to like work their asses off in the morning, (laughs) you know, get up at 5 a.m. and then try to overcome the adversity there, you know, like stuff like that. It teaches you so much and you come back and you're not the same. So, yeah, I love that your mission is to kind of educate the next generation that's going to take over. Um, That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it's fun just because, you know what, my daughter's passionate about it. Now she has some friends that are uh, at school that want to help out. So, you know, when all this COVID thing ends, I want to really focus on, uh, you know, the youth is our future. So focus on the youth in these camps and bringing the kids together. It was really kind of cool to see my daughter, you know, handing out things to some of the kids in these camps and, and uh, an image that really just kind of haunts me. I'll never forget this, uh, this girl about my daughter's age or about three of them. They were kind of just sitting around, uh, talking and the girls want to know what, what it was like in California. So my daughter brought out her iPhone and uh, showed a picture of her dog. And I'll never forget these girls look at my daughter's dog. And then they wanted to see what, you know, California looked like. So my daughter showed some pictures of uh, the Pacific ocean and these girls, they just, you know, like made their day. It was, it was pretty wild just to see this interaction between, 
you know, kid from the West and a kid from, you know, uh, East Africa. It was really kind of special. So, you know, the goal is to kind of team up with, uh, you know, the various camps and agencies where we can, you know, merge the kids and the, uh, you know, the humanity together and bring awareness. I think awareness can shorten this uh, cycle. I think, um, you know, the average uh, refugees in some of these camps about 17 years, a lot of these kids were born in the camps. um, And it's just, you know, it's an eye opener for sure. Yeah, I believe that education is the key to a lot of the problems in the world and yeah. having that awareness. If you if we could just educate everybody on whatever the issue is, we would solve a lot of different things. <laughs> a lot of issues. Why are you passionate about travel? Obviously, you didn't start, you know, just doing covering the refugee crisis, but what what made you want to start kind of going around the world and exploring it? We're a pretty cool planet. You know, as a kid, I used to ride my bike to Canada. So I was about 10. I used to drive my bike across the, the bridge and, um, and I you know, have just had this sort of, uh, Wait, where did you live? Cause like, was Canada like 500 miles or was it like a uh, mile down there? <laughs> upstate New York. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was just a, it was a short jaunt and, uh, you know, I see that. And then, you know, post college, I moved over to, uh, I spent a summer in Italy and that summer turned out to be four years. So. Wow. From Italy, I ended up sort of traveling uh, quite a bit of countries. And, you know, it was just a great experience and eye opener. And every chance I have, I kind of get on a plane and, you know, I don't book a pl- you know, Like, for instance, I'll give an example. Uh, you know, the last trip, you know, my daughter, I, we, we used Istanbul as our base. Uh, so LA, Istanbul. And then from Istanbul, we planned our whole summer. So wow. went to Istanbul, Istanbul, Greece, Greece, you know, went up to London, went over to Italy. Ireland and then, you know, back down through England and just sort of bounced around. You know, I don't like to plan. I never stay in big chain hotels, you know, not for me whatsoever. You know, like the boutique, when I'm in Africa, I rough it. It's, uh, you know, you're grateful to have, you know, hot water, but, you know, it's even better when you have water. And, uh, you know, I think he asked in my email, what are the things I, the necessities that I bring when I travel? And it's a, you know, a headlamp, crazy glow, and uh, maybe a little bug repellent and, you know, clean jeans. <laughs> yeah, definitely with a bug repellent. I bring a headlamp with me for sure, because you never know. I, I tend to rough it. So I don't go to like normal vacation spots, usually, unless I'm being coerced to. I usually pick pretty rough, <laughs> rough places, because I love it. I don't know what it is. Like, I want to be uncomfortable. Uh, so I, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah, it's the only way to go. Tell me about your life now. Like, what are you doing at the moment? Like, are you planning on go? I mean, I know with the whole COVID situation, things have changed, but are you planning on traveling anywhere? As soon as the borders open up, I, I, in fact, I check every day. So as soon as they let us back into, you know, Europe, uh, I'm definitely, you know, going to go back. You know, my team's in Ethiopia. So I speak to my you know, my, my senior board members and we have two staff members in Ethiopia. So I, I communicate with them on a regular basis. There is a quarantine in Ethiopia and I think pretty much around the world. But as soon as things open up, you know, I'm going back and, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're homeschooling now because I'll, you know, my daughter will come over with me to we'll probably use Europe as our base and then, you know, bounce into Africa as soon as they'll have us back. With all of your travels, with everybody that you photographed, who is your most meaningful person that you've met or photographed? Probably some of the kids in the refugee camps. There's a boy in one particular that, uh, 
you know, he lost his eye in South Sudan. Uh, he's one that, uh, you know, I really want to get back. And, you know, I've talked to some doctors uh, about helping with that eye. So that's, that's one in particular. Uh, Bill Clinton was kind of a, a funny subject to photograph. Yeah. Uh, kind of accident. But it's um, a whole other story. And then I think some of the homeless people, you know, that I photographed, uh, probably photographed, I don't know, three or 4,000 throughout LA. And uh, they're, they're rather interesting, you know, and their backgrounds are so diverse. People have no idea, you know, just one, one wrong turn of luck and they're out on the street. And uh, I find them to be very, a lot of them very educated. Um, you know, they just had a little bit of bad luck. Yeah, we we see that a lot in LA, like Skid Row especially. I know a few people that have ended up on Skid Row, normal, and then just made a right, you know, made made a wrong turn in life, and then ended up over there. So it's just a very eye opening experience. Uh, you, we don't have to travel outside of the country to see adversity. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Yeah, you know, thousand percent. I find the more remote, the the kind of the more interesting the people are. Yes. yes. You know, I try, you know, I use a big city as a base just for a, a day or two. And then, uh, you know, I want to go where most people don't. That's kind of my, uh, you know, my mantra. So, yeah. Yeah. You photographed a lot of tribes. I'm Love planning, it. I'm actually planning on, I was supposed to go to Africa this year. I wanted to go to Tanzania and Kenya. And that was my goal. I was supposed to be there probably around now. <laughs> And, uh, and obviously everything happened and transpired. So that's not happening, but advice on how, how was that whole situation? Who, which tribe, like, I, I don't know any okay. advice. Well, when you're ready to go to Tanzania, I've got the, one of the most amazing guides on the planet. Okay. Uh, and he's amazing. And he, you know, and, and my guides in Ethiopia are the same way. They're one of the coolest things about them is, uh, you know, they, they, they want to make sure my daughter is safe and, you know, it's funny, they're, you know, years, I mean, I have guides in Cambodia and I'll get a message, how's Skylar doing? You know, it's hilarious. I mean, they really look out after her and Tanzania was interesting. You know, one of the tribes in Tanzania, they're just very welcoming. How do you choose who you photograph? Like you walk in, there's a ton of refugees or a ton of subjects and you go, I want to pick that person. What is it about them that you go, that's the person I'm going to go for? You know, it's just sort of a an intuition, or maybe we choose each other. Um, you know, it's sort of a you know maybe that eye contact, um, always permission in a sense. And the permission, you know, a lot of times I don't understand the language, and you know, it's just a verbal communication from a you know I'll point to the camera and I'll point back at them, and <laughs> you're like, the, can I? Can I? <laughs> you know, give me the thumbs up, and you know, I always want. Um, permission to take their photo. That's really, so you always ask, you always go, can always. I admit? Always. always. Yeah. It's just, it's common respect. And you know, when I teach my daughter, when we're in a foreign country, just act like you're in your grandmother's living room, you know, always treat the foreign country and wherever you're at as you're a guest in somebody's living room and just show the respect. And that's really the, the key that I teach her and that I've always sort of uh, used in traveling around the world. So just respect the cultures, you know, when we're in, um, you know, Islamic countries, I make sure she covers her head. Uh, she covers her arms. She's wearing pants. I want to honor the, the different cultures and the traditions. And it's really a key to, you know, I don't want to be that obnoxious, uh, you know, foreigner, uh, foreigner that's walking through a, a city or a village. So it's really kind of key. 
you know, to our traveling. A lot of photographers hope to do what you do. How do you go about doing this as a hobby advice for like an aspiring younger Todd? Just, you know, throw away the manual and the camera, um, and just go have fun. You know, it, it let it, let it happen, you know, let it evolve, uh, and embrace the people. One of the things I really, I, you know, I love spending time with, uh, you know, some of the subjects. So we'll go into these different tribes and it's real key to kind of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, meet the people. I'll camp with them. You know, I know in the Serengeti, uh, that was another fun experience. You know, we're sleeping in tents and there's lions and all kinds of critters. And really, yeah, that was like uh, out. Yeah, I remember one night it was, uh, you know, lions all night rubbing up against the tent. And, you know, I slept maybe 10 minutes only to wake up to, you know, a herd of elephants out in front of the tent. And it was probably the most magical moments of my life. Wow. Uh, sleepless night. Wow. And uh, I couldn't even get to the to the the dining tent because there were, you know, elephants. And we were told not to leave the tent until one of the uh, uh, it's the Maasai tribe out of uh, uh, the Maasai Mari. Maasai Mari, and they you know they walk around with just a stick and you know they I guess they fight off the uh, the lions with a stick if they come near you. But uh, you know it was pretty pretty special. Thank God it, for the East African coffee. Yeah. <laughs> How is that? Like I can't even imagine a lion rubbing their body on my tent. I'd freak out. Also, I want to do it though. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. So it are was, you in your tent alone? Like uh, I had my daughter, you know, and it was, a, it was a real nice tent. Don't get me wrong there. You know, they had beds in the tents and okay. you know, there was a little shower in the tents. Well, it's a bucket shower tent. So you have to okay. kind of notify them by a walkie talkie that you're ready to take a shower and they, they heat up water on a, on a fire and then put it on top of this uh, ladder and then you, you pull the string and you get a shower. I mean, it was oh, pretty, pretty awesome. But there's bugs the size of your iPhone. So that was the yeah. one thing that kind of freaked my daughter out were the bugs. So Are they in your tent? Like, I'm just so curious because I'm about to do this thing. Like I'm probably going to do a very similar trip and I'm definitely looking forward to it, but I would like to know. <laughs> some of the tips that you can give me? Like, do I have to look for lions outside of my tent? Like, is that normal? You know, one of the things in Tanzania and, and throughout East Africa, the, the people, they go out of their way to help you out. And, uh, you know, Tanzania especially. I mean, the, you know, they're just friendly and, you know, they go out of their way to make sure you're, you know, safe, comfortable. Um, and they give you precautions. So just listen to the precautions. And one of the precautions is as soon as the sun goes down, you know, close your tent and, uh, you know, you're good to go. Just don't leave your tent in the middle of the night because uh, um, the lions are out there. And one of the things I wanted to do was photograph oh. the stars because if you look up, you'll never see a brighter sky filled with stars. But I couldn't go out and photograph because of the lions. So it was, that was the one restriction I had with the camera. That, uh, that trip was no, you know, no shots of the Milky Way. Wow. It's so funny because I immediately thought, well, I want to go outside and take shots of the <laughs> camp at night to see the Milky Way. That's exactly, well, how do I go out now? Because that's definitely something that I enjoy doing is I'll probably get out of my tent, take a photograph of whatever's going on. So I can't, oh, that'd be so hard for me. <laughs> but, that was that was a one. But, you know, I did not want to become, uh, you know, uh, a meal? lion dinners. 
Yeah. Mail, yes. So what is your most interesting travel story that you have? I'm sure you have so many, but yeah, I'd love There's to hear them. Yeah, it might have been, uh, it was a trip and this is a funny trip. I was with a, a girlfriend at the time and we were in, I was in London visiting her. I had some business in London and, you know, I had about five days off and so did she. So we ended up in an Irish pub having a couple pints and I ended up, you know, she said, let's go somewhere tomorrow. I'm like, all right, great. So we took a map, true story, put the map on a dartboard and uh, wherever the dart landed is where we we're going to go. So the, the dart landed in Morocco. So I got on my phone and EasyJet has this amazing app. And uh, I got on the app and there was uh, a flight that left from uh, Gatwick to uh, Marrakesh, you know, at six in the morning. I've taken that flight, Gatwick to Marrakesh. It was like $100. It's great. So, yeah, it's amazing. So we ended up going to the airport and sleeping at the airport. And, uh, and I booked two flights. So we get to Marrakesh and I'll never forget, I, I walked off the plane and <laughs> Now, tears came into my eyes because I'm looking up. There's mountains filled with snow. It was cold. And yet Africa has this magical, certain parts of it have this magical smell where there's this wood that's burning. Mm-hmm. And it has this kind of, you know, the, you know the smell I'm talking about? Yes. It's yes, like spices and wood. And, and I, just, I was just like, wow. And uh, we're, we drive into Marrakesh. And it was literally like, you know, an Indiana Jones movie on steroids. We check into this little little hotel and, you know, we had no clue except we had, you know, five days to have a good time. So we ended up going to the spice shop. You know, these guys were trying to, you know, you know, oh, I have a brother that can take you to this place and take you to yeah. that place. I ended up giving a little money. Then the brother doesn't show up the next day. And it was just beyond sketchy. And I'm just thinking to myself. He oh, never God. showed up. He never showed he up. He never showed up. I ended up, you know, convincing him to give the money back. And that's a whole other story. Um, I go back to the hotel and the, this group just got back from this five day tour of Morocco and the guide was there. So, you know, I had a long talk with the guide come to find out his dad was the former head of police for the city of Marrakesh. Super cool guy. He had a brand new car and I'm like, how much to take us around the country? So, uh, and we wanted to ride camels. So he, he, he said, well, I can do it for this amount. I'm saying, great. So, Went up jumping in the car with him, checked out of the hotel. And my girlfriend at the time, we drove towards Algeria. And, uh, you know, just touring Morocco was just, it was unbelievable. There was snow, it was cold. And, uh, and we ended up getting to this village on the edge of Algeria and jumped on some camels and decided to take this tour into the Sahara Desert. We rode camels four hours into the desert. It was freezing cold. Ended up and there was this little like, tent city that they took us to four mm-hmm. hours in. And I'll never forget, it was like this Caspar that, you know, the music and singing and traditional Moroccan food, it was amazing. So we check into the tents and I'll never forget crawling into the tents. And, you know, it was cold and just amazing. But there were bed bugs in the tent. No. <laughs> oh, I got eaten alive. And I'm just, you know what? The hell with this. I ended up getting dressed, jumping out. I slept uh, under the stars with the camels. And the camels made so much noise. I don't know if you've ever been on a camel, but they are the rudest, foulest, you know, funniest animal out there. But I said, they're better than a bed bug. They're rude, but they're better than a bed bug. 
It's true. So, <laughs> so I ended up, and, and the stars were just, and we went out and watched the stars all night. And they were shooting stars. And it was literally, it was probably the most uh, beautiful evening ever. And it was freezing. I think it was, uh, you know, probably in the 20s. And it was, uh, in fact, the following day, there was snow in the Sahara Desert. It was pretty wow. Amazing. Yeah, but it was awesome. I went there, I think it was around June. It was hot. It was like hot. Like we went to the Sahara and it was in the middle of, yeah, the middle of the desert. And there's like a little tent village (laughs) where I wanted to, my, it was on my bucket list. I was like, I gotta, I gotta ride camels in the Sahara. (laughs) That's like my thing. Like there were tents and then there was like uh, an actual small building in the middle of nowhere and they had rooms in there or rooms in the tents and I was like no nah, I'm sleeping out in the tents because it's cooler it's so hot inside and then my cousin was so hot she decided that she was going to pull out her mattress and put it on the sand underneath the stars and look like you're crazy snakes and stuff like I'm <laughs> going in the tent but it was it was a similar experience it was a five-day trip to Morocco and we went all around the country the one part of Morocco I didn't go to was Chef Shawin, which I really I'd love to go to. Right? yes did you do that one we did not that's my that's on my list when I go back that uh, is on the top of my list like I want to see Chef Shawin really bad <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I think it was Chanel or what, who was the designer that was his kind of palette? And then Burroughs oh. wrote about it. Yeah, uh, I forgot who, who took that palette. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But it's, <laughs> it's like I see photos of that and I'm like, I need to go back to Morocco. Yeah. I loved it. That was one of my favorite crazy trips as well. I, I it's so funny because I hear what you're saying and I've done very similar things because oh, I was in yeah. – yeah, I was in England. I was in Gatwick, uh, near Gatwick Airport, and my, my family lives in England, and I went to go visit them. And then I looked at my cousin. I'm like, let's go to Morocco or something or go somewhere. And she's like, all right. So we looked up flights, and it was 30 pounds or something. Yeah. And I'm like, we're going to Morocco. Let's go tomorrow. And then we yeah, just I went. think it was probably one of the most least expensive, amazing journeys ever. Yes. You know, because I think the, the, the driver and the car and, you know, it was – you know, about a hundred dollars a day to tour this amazing country and the culture, the people are just, I you know, know, beyond amazing. And the food. And the food. And food. <laughs> yes. The food. food is the yeah. mint tea. Oh yeah. Mint tea all the time. Mint tea. I, when we were in the Sahara, it was, it was the hottest out of all the areas when we were in that desert at night. It was, it was, I was sweating and I remember them going, here's some hot, mint tea and i'm like are you crazy and they're like yeah i'll just make it cooler and i'm like all right i'll drink it and actually worked it worked worked. we talked about advice earlier but is there a piece of life advice you can give to a younger you well yeah i would say um follow your heart your instincts um avoid uh assholes (laughs) you know that's really that's that's the best advice uh, I think my grandfather gave me. He's a young kid. Probably, you know, just dive in there. Do what makes you feel happy. Don't listen to anyone except your own intuition. That's really, I think, the key. That's the advice I give my daughter. You know, there's no perfect answer, but do what makes you feel right. And treat everyone with respect. I think when you travel, that's the advice I was given and I always use. You know, just respect the culture and learn. You know, listen, watch, view. We have this amazing planet and go out and experience it. I mean, I think the people on this planet are pretty amazing. 
you know, the 90 countries I've been to have never had an issue with not quite anyone. Well, I'll give you an example. You know, the mainstream media at, at the time was talking how unsafe it is in some of these regions, you know, and, you know, we go to these regions. I'll give an example. My daughter, she's been to 20 plus countries with me and her favorite country yet to this date is uh, Turkey. And at the I time, Turkey. Were, Turkey's unbelievable. The people, I call it Italy on steroids. I think the people are just unbelievably amazing. The architecture, the food, the culture. You know, my daughter could walk around alone. I mean, people were very super cool. And yet you watch the news and the news tells you, oh, it's not so safe and this and that. And that was, it was anything but that. It was amazing. I'd have to agree because when I went to Turkey, it was, you know, a few months after some kind of altercation that happened there where I was staying. And uh, I remember asking my driver, because all I know is mainstream media, what's going on? Is it safe? And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. And it was. I ended up staying out till one in the morning walking around and it was completely safe. Uh, and people were really kind. The food was amazing. It was an incredible experience. And actually, I have a question for you about your daughter. How has, first of all, how is it traveling with her? You've traveled with her at such a young age to countries. Like, what is it like, you know, and tips for, for parents that want to travel with their, their kids? And I've been traveling with her since she was eight years old or so. I think the, the most challenging, there she is over there, but the, the most <laughs> challenging part is uh, I found was getting her out of bed, getting a teenager out of bed in the Serengeti when you want to catch the natural light with the migration. And getting her out of bed, and, and, you, and I can't leave her in the camp. So she's got to come, but getting her out of bed is probably the biggest challenge. It's been a fun journey. You know, we're both missing traveling right now. You know, she, she has had very little complaints along the way. Uh, and I break it up. You know, I let her stay in a, you know, we'll stay in a nice boutique hotel. And then, you know, I like to rough it. Um, I think one of the hotels she didn't particularly care for in Jinka, Ethiopia. You know, the power kept going out. There was no hot water. I think she was ready to check into something a little bit nicer. <laughs> Sometimes roughing it is actually better than staying at a hotel, to be honest. Oh, yeah. No, I avoid any chains are, are not part of my vocabulary. Yeah. So, for a lot of reasons. Travel affects me deeply. You know, it has changed the course of my life. So I can't even imagine as someone that's growing up in it, like how does that affect you? Like what is her goals later right now? <laughs> Great question. I, I think, you know, obviously it's my job to show her the world or, you know, to show her as much as I can and to let her experience, you know, these amazing cultures and traditions. She, you know, has seen a lot of the world. People in these cities have, you know, kind of gone out of their way. They see, you know, you know, this guy, a single dad traveling with his daughter in some of these cities and uh, they've been super cool. I know, uh, give an example in Italy, on our first, one of our first international trips, we went to see the Palo horse race in Siena, Italy, which is the oldest horse race in the world. And there were no tickets available, but the hotel said, if you get up early enough and you go into the center, it's, it's free. So I got up early, four hours into it, and we're in the center. I'm literally front row and the stadium fills up in Siena of about 30,000 people. Wow. You know, we're in the front, we're in the sun, drinking water, and I'm getting a little hot. And she had to use the restroom. And I had a, I think she was nine or so at the time. And I promised her mom I'd never let her out of my sight. 
So I used to speak, I lived in Italy for about four years and I never forget there was a Cabernet, which is the federal police. And he was there just making sure, you know, the crowds were under control before the race took place. And she had to use the restroom. So I spoke a little Italian to this guy. You know, I knew, you know, I could trust him and, but I knew she'd have to be out of my sight for a little while. But if I left, we'd lose these seats that we waited four hours to get. (laughs) It was just like, we were like sardines and, but literally we were front row. And I spoke to him a little bit in Italian and he, he actually, this federal police officer took my daughter to the restroom and made sure she was okay. And he got her back to me. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget the, uh, you know, thanking him and the gratitude for that. You know, we have a pretty cool planet. You know, there are bad people in the world, but I think the majority of the world is good. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah. I think we need to really focus on that. And I think the only way that you're really going to know that is by traveling. You really find out how kind people are. I've had a lot of experiences like that where you just... You're like, I don't know if this might be shady, uh, but I want to trust this person for some reason. And then it turns out to be a fantastic experience and an exchange. What's your most favorite location that you've ever been? Wow. You can only pick one. (laughs) And why? Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe the Serengeti. You know, waking up to the sunrise in the Serengeti and just looking at this vast you know the it's 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 just magic you know that's probably one of them you know and it's a special place to me you know maybe the people maybe the light maybe just knowing where i was maybe the hemingway first taking me there uh you know i think that might be part of it uh peter beard the late peter beard in his uh photographic journals you know with the words of karen vixen and you know, out of Africa. I think, I think part of that sunk into my soul and then being there for the first time was sort of a, you know, one of those wah moments. So, and I held off on Africa for a long time. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there with just anybody. So yeah. Yeah. It's a special place. It's It's literally my dream to go there. Like I've been, and specifically like Tanzania, Kenya, and, um, and Uganda, because I really love to see the... Yeah, Uganda looks amazing. Yes. With the group. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's my, hopefully next year, if we are okay and we can travel again. Um, so, I talked to my guys. They're, the, you know, Dubai is starting to, you know, they're opening up for tourism. So Dubai, you know, the Dubai is coming in for, for uh, uh, safaris now. And, um, nice. you know, some of the Europeans are bouncing back in. So things are opening up, which I'm really glad because their, you know, economy relies on tourism. Yeah. So. I spoke to my uh, guide in Nepal and we, we actually have a good relationship. Like we'll, we'll talk about random things. And he was like, it's so slow here. There's nothing. No one's here. It's crazy. No one's climbing Everest. Like no one's going around like, and I'm just, that's his whole life. So wow. economy there is pretty, pretty hard on. Yeah. yeah, it's sad, but hopefully it's starting. I think it's going to start to pick up for sure. Um, so any tips and tricks for traveling to the Serengeti, your favorite way to travel or any anything that you could like, I'm going there. I'm probably going to go to the Serengeti. So what are you going to tell me what to do, <laughs> how to travel there? Just to travel, you know, travel lightly, you know, picking the right guide is really key. You know, if you Google, 
safaris. You know, the algorithms are set up and one of the one of the cautions is some of the safari companies, they, you know, obviously pay quite a bit to be first on the Google list. And, you know, the algorithms put them up to the top and you'll find a lot of these companies will just, you know, charge you quite a bit. So you have to be careful on which travel company that you go with. Mm-hmm. A lot of them really do. There's quite a bit of markup. So do a lot of research. You know, certain times of the year, like we went in December, which is a great time of the year. You know, it's mm-hmm. not hot. The migration's taking place. Yeah, I was about to say during uh, the migration, right? The migration was great. Yeah. You know, in fact, I had, I don't think I saw one mosquito the whole time, you know, <sighs> which, which nice. was great. Yeah. And I think in certain times, there's a lot more mosquitoes in the rainy season, things like that. How do you travel uh, but, during the migration? Like you're on land? You were on land? Yeah, we were on land. And, you know, the, the guides knew. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a guide who's been doing this for 30 or 40 years. So he kind of, you know, they, they just know through satellites and experience and other guides. There's quite a bit of communication on the, on the radio. And they know when the, you know, the wildebeest and, and the animals are going to migrate. So it was, it was really cool to follow this. Uh, and then my, you know, my favorite was, you know, with the Maasai because the Maasai's are throughout the Serengeti and they're just, you know, unbelievably beautiful, kind, and the history is pretty cool. In fact, my, my daughter, you know, I usually eat whatever along the way, you know, in Cambodia, I'd eat curb food, I'll eat curb food wherever, but the, the Maasai, one of their traditions is, uh, uh, a yogurt mixed with cow's blood. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, one in Rome, but she's like, dad, if you drink that or eat that, I'm going home. So that was the one thing I did not partake in. So I heard that that's a thing there, the cow's blood situation where they, I forgot they, they let, they let bloodletting. Yeah. It's bloodletting. It's a little insertion in the neck and it's a tradition (laughs) You know, their cardiovascular system is probably the best on the planet. They win every marathon on planet Earth, and, uh, you know, they seem to be the healthiest uh, folks on the planet. But it's mixed with, I think, goat's milk. But she would not let me partake in that one. No, I probably won't be partaking in that one (laughs) (laughs) either. (laughs) Any other tips that you have? What, What tour company did you go with? You know, I have a, I, I interviewed quite a bit and like anything, I don't go with the big names, you know, yeah. so you only receive it at Hyatt or Marriott. Um, you know, it was a boutique company that, I, you know, kind of found and it felt right. You know, when I was kind of Googling and, and sending out emails and, uh, um, and I can kind of send you some of the information They're They're just unbelievable. Yeah. And, I'd love to share that with, with everyone. Kind yeah, of help out that company. they're unreal. And, you know, Ethiopia, you know, Nat Geo kind of put me in touch with uh, you know, an amazing driver guide who was just unbelievable. And he spoke five of the languages because Ethiopia, there's uh, quite a, there, I think there's about eight different tribes throughout Ethiopia. And, you know, he speaks most of the languages, which was very helpful. Wow. Uh, yeah, when traveling in that region. And you want to trust your guides. I mean, that's really key. I mean, uh, you have to. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, especially, I mean, it, with me, it's one thing, but, you know, having a teenage daughter is another. So, and then I always register with the State Department in every country I go with. So that's one of the other things I do when traveling. One of my buddies is a former ambassador. And, you know, one of the key things uh, to do when you're traveling off, it's one thing to go to Paris and London, but it's another thing going into a, you know, a country that may not have a huge, uh, you know, presence with, you know, Western tourists. So, you know, the State Department knows where I'm at at all times. It's a, a key to making sure if anything went wrong, they know where you're at kind of thing. That's actually a good idea. I've never done that. So 
I should probably do that considering that I always go off into some yeah, crazy places. Especially in off, in off place and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to going out there and exploring all those places. It seems like we have the same path, you know, but like, you know, like I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so, and I want to get to Tibet. That's one of the, that's on my bucket list. That's on my bucket list too. And, um, oh gosh, I, I don't know why I'm, I don't remember, but the uh, Bhutan. Bhutan and Tibet. Bhutan looks great. Bhutan. And Madagascar. Yes. Madagascar. I want to see the lemurs and there's a, a zombie uh, dance that they do in, in uh, Madagascar. They, they dig up the dead after you die. A year later, they dig up your body and they pass the body around the village. So I want you know, to get there and photograph it. Where can we find you? Uh, where can we find your, your organization? Uh, well, it's Lost Faces of Humanity Foundation.org is, is my foundation. Uh, or Todd underscore Snyder one on Instagram. That's where you can find me for now. Hopefully you'll find me soon in a remote place in Africa. So hopefully this whole, our borders will open up and, uh, you know, we go back to normal. Yeah, definitely. That's really cool. the, the wish to the planet. So yes, I hope that everything just, you know, ends up equalizing yeah. in a new oh, yeah. world, you know, I don't know, normalizing somehow where we could go and, travel and see one another and hug one another again uh that's that's the goal let's let's pray for that one that's a that's a true state so. yeah for sure thank you so much todd for joining me on the roaming the earth podcast stories and adventures of people who are jet setters nomads and explorers this is drea castro signing off join us again next time stay wild if you're interested in hearing more stories from around the globe don't forget to subscribe Share it to your friends and follow me on Instagram on I'm Roaming the Earth.